On this episode of Water Flying, we're at Rust Flying Service on Lake Hood in Alaska. You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Well, welcome back to Water Flying. We are on the shore of the largest seaplane base in the world here at Lake Hood in Anchorage, Alaska. And I have the great pleasure of sitting down with Todd Rust, whose family owns and operates the largest seaplane operation uh, here on the lake. Uh, Todd, it's a Saturday afternoon. You've had a busy week, I'm sure, and you've made time for me. So thanks for uh, sitting down with us today. Well, thank you, Steve. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Well, you know, it's great to be back at Rust. I always try to bring people here and um, share the seaplane experience and, and share Alaska when I'm in town. And I always try to bring new people that haven't been exposed to seaplanes. And we had a big conference in town all week uh, dealing with invasive species and it were regulators and people within the invasive species world. And that's always a stressful time for me <laughs> because it's one of the biggest threats to our access. And um, at yeah, I was very pleased that several of them uh, expressed interest in, in going for their first float plane ride, so there was no better place to do it than here. <laughs> well, I understand that you went flying with us yesterday, Yeah, and uh, I hope you had a good time. But, uh, it was a pretty good day for flying, and uh, uh, you went up with uh, one of our experienced pilots here at Rust, and uh, were you able to see uh, some good scenery and some animals? wildlife anything yeah we did so gary we went up with gary uh he did an awesome job um and we went out and we saw uh we were mentioning that it might be kind of hard to see moose because uh hunting season has begun yes they, and, they did get a heads up here on <laughs> september 1st yes but uh just about as those words were coming out of our mouths i looked down and spotted a moose and uh so we were able to circle him and then uh went up on the uh left arm of the the glacier uh, well the triumvirate glacier the triumvirate, yeah. by beluga lake it's about a 30 minute flight to yep. get over there from lake hood so on the way up to the glacier um uh, we spotted a bear up on a ridge black bear probably. yeah black bear yep. which was great uh and he's uh stayed around long enough for us to just swing back and take a better look at him so it was great to to see him up there uh flew up the glacier went into the kind of the cathedral up there and uh you know it's just it's just there's no way to describe that to someone that hasn't experienced mm-hmm. it. I, I, it. You just can't put it into words. Well, I hope you got to land on the lake up there because that's another part of the experience. Yeah, it's we did. Really something. So we crossed uh, over the ridge uh, to the other side and came down and landed at Beluga Lake uh, there. And uh, that was a great experience again because then they actually got to experience landing on a lake in the middle of nowhere right? and yeah. getting out and realizing you're you're. That's, really that's fantastic. Well, we, we have people tell us all the time this is one of the best things they've done on their trip to Alaska. Yeah. Is, is the flight scene trip out in the, either in the, 
one of our ski plans or one of our float plans. If you want to feel small (laughs) on this little blue uh, marble of ours, uh, going out and flying in the Alaska wilderness in these mountains uh, with the incredible elevations and going into these cathedrals, uh, ice cathedrals where it's just snow and snowpack and, and these glaciers, when you're flying out over these glaciers, you just really feel... that the the vast expanse is hard to describe again it's impossible yes and uh it's unlike i don't care how many times you see it on nat geo or or television or in photos there's no way to capture that emotion or that feeling other than going out there well that's right and it's and that's one of the big paybacks for me being in this business is seeing uh, people come through here and uh, have that experience and uh, to to get out there and, and see these sites and that's for me, and I know for the pilots, just to, that feedback is just tremendous. Yeah. It's always good to watch that that light bulb go in or, or that aha moment that people have. And, you know, that's what I enjoy, you know, this whole community and, and what I get to experience. And, and sharing that is, is really a responsibility because that's how we're going to, you know, keep this industry and this way of life alive. The more people we share about it, they go tell all their friends and they tell their family. And then it spreads you know, that interest to come back and create the next set of customers or people to experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on the way back, we uh, we're coming back over Alexander River, I believe. Alexander Creek. Or Alexander Creek. Yes. Uh, And we thought that the belugas probably wouldn't be there because tide had pretty much flooded already. Mm -hmm. But we found a pod of, uh, we saw two, then we saw four, then we were up to eight. That's pretty Uh, cool. (laughs) The the white whales out there. Yeah. And they travel in, in pods. Yeah. And they are uh, they're hungry. They're after salmon. That's yeah, they were they're... feeding. I yeah. mean, they were just they weren't they weren't uh, motoring along. They were just circling around. Right. They had found some salmon and they were feeding on them. And so. isn't that amazing? The, the navigation uh, you can't see two inches in that silty water. Yeah, but they're and, there. <laughs> and those whales are making their way around and finding salmon. It's amazing. You know, it's been raining here for weeks, and that's, we oh, had a beautiful day, and here it is raining again. Oh, my gosh, the weather, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that water is about as silty as it gets, probably, other than spring uh, melt. It, it, it always looks like that, yes, very <laughs> silty. So, uh, yeah, we had a great flight, and again, thanks to the team. Uh, the crew here stayed late. We, we were out pretty late last night. Gary gave us a, a long flight. and Well, I, ch- I checked on you. I called him, <laughs> and I said, has Gary gotten back with her, that bunch? Uh, Yet, uh, what's going on there? And they, they said, no, he's, he's doing a nice, long, long <laughs> Hopefully flight. we didn't get him in trouble. <laughs> no, no, he, that's fine. I, I said, well, he's, yeah, I, he, he wants to do a, a great job for them. I, I know he's going to do, do the right thing. And he's, he was out there giving you a nice, uh, nice long trip. Well, as we mentioned, Rust is not only the oldest flying service here on the lake, but also the largest. Uh, we are. We are. We, and I, I think I was mentioned to you earlier that uh, – we uh, are the largest off airports operator in, in the United States. I was I was shocked, <laughs> and you know who told me the FAA, really the regulators. They said, "Yeah, you are the number one off airports operator in the U.S." And I had no idea, absolutely no idea. That's amazing. So, so I mean, it's this service started in like 1963 with 19, a single Super Cub or ni- something. 1963. Well. Single Super Cub, it's around the corner. It's right here, yeah, it's right there. Right I can the see it corner. from here. <laughs> right. There it is, yeah. 1963, my dad was in the Air Force. He retired out of the Air Force uh, after 20 years, and uh, he, he, uh, he knew how to do a couple things. He knew how to fly, 
and he knew how to hunt and fish. I guess that's really three things. <laughs> so um, his idea was to uh, start an air service, and that's just what he did. He got a cub uh, on floats, and he started uh, put his shingle out uh, in this very building. We've wow. been in this. We've been in this building we're sitting in right now has been here since the fifties. And the service that predates us was there was a service here before, and then we took over, and this is where we've been ever since, since 1963. But he started with a single Super Cub, uh, got it, got a 185 shortly thereafter because he needed to be able to haul more than just one person, and uh, he did a lot of uh, guiding, hunting guide guide uh, work. He did a lot of transportation, um, and uh, uh, and built his business uh, in the 60s, and I can remember. Uh, I started working here as a kid, fueling airplanes. That was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah I'd come here every summer and spend practically uh, every day out here working, filling uh, full planes on the dock, and uh, it was great work. And I learned a lot. Learned a lot about mm-hmm. about operating uh, full planes. You know, I just love coming and and hanging out at bases like this. I, you know, I don't know if you noticed, I kind of made myself at home here. Well, uh, but you know, you learn so much just observing and being in this atmosphere. You do, uh, and and I would encourage more people to do this. It's a very common question for me to be asked: How do I get involved? How do I? You know, how do I get going? How do I make this work? And I, and I say one of the best ways to do is go work line or, you know, go go try to work line. Well, we've, one of these. we've had innumerable people work, either work the dock, work the counter, uh, some capacity, even the mechanic, and then go on to become uh, involved in the in it, the, either this industry or another one very closely related. In this, flying, some capacity. Yeah, so you know. a lot of people come through here. It just made me reflect, and I hadn't even planned to talk about this, but we're talking about line service and, and literally how it can lead. Right. Uh, I worked line service at Pompano Air Center, which was the, the largest aerobatic school in the world at the time in the early 90s. And um, I remember Mark Twombly coming and doing a story. At the time, Mark Twombly was the editor of AOPA magazine. Okay. And they were coming to do a story on the aerobatic school. And I was just in awe that the editor of AOPA was was coming to do a story on us. And I was like, this is Mark Twombly. Well, Mark and I have worked together now for twenty almost 20 years on Water Flying Magazine. And, uh, you know, he produces Water Flying Magazine. And here I am, the executive director of the association. And, and I started out working line. Mm-hmm. So right there is the proof it's, in the pudding. Definitely, definitely <laughs> one way to do it. Uh, is to get involved in getting on the on the ground floor there with, so uh, st- a starter position exactly. Big encouragement if you want to get in this industry. Uh, you know the best way is to insert you start hanging out at places like this. Uh, try to get a line job or a dock job, whatever you can do. Um, and uh, you know, so the formulas change because at that point. Uh, your dad was flying hunters and fishermen mostly. Yes, um, yes. So it, it kind of morphed uh, and grew from there. It did. The, the, the travel industry and the tourism in Alaska really took off in the mid to late 70s. And that's when the service really started to grow at that point. Uh, up until then, it had been mostly a guide service and some fishing and, and some sightseeing. But then sightseeing became really important after uh, uh, nineteen mid, mid-70s, I guess. Yeah. Is that when the cruise ships started coming up and stuff? Or Well, they had been coming up here, but it just, for whatever reason, Alaska became a destination at that point uh, for, more, for mainstream America and not 
just real explorers or whatever. Um, and so we started seeing a lot more people coming through, and that, of course that drove the growth. We, we started out with Cessna 185s. I think we at one point we had four of them here on floats. And really? that, yeah, four, that's, oh, we had 185s. That was, that was the airplane of choice. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then we, we outgrew that pretty quickly. Then we had to get acquire a beaver and then another beaver, another beaver, and then we were into the otter. You had to have one the otters and uh, Cessna Caravan, and it just, it just grew from there. And uh, so that, that all started uh, many, many years ago. Uh, we've since then added uh, another service up in Talkeetna with a ski plane aircraft landing mm-hmm. on the glaciers up at Denali, and we did that back in 1996. Wow. So we've had, uh, from that rather humble beginnings, we're, I think, 23 aircraft now. 23. 23. Two dozen aircraft. Yeah. I mean, that's a big, that's a big operation. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, it just it surprises me when I think about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And if you haven't done that, you know, there, there is things to do other than flying floats. Uh, flight with K2, you know, I've gone up and landed on the mountain at the climber's base camp there. Did You, you did do that. I did point. that several years ago okay. uh, with my wife. And at the time, uh, Alistair McPherson, who was the chief instructor at Kimmore, we, we came up oh, okay. here for the Airman Show right. and uh, went up to uh, Talkeetna. Before that. we bought that business, I thought those guys that landing on the glaciers up there were absolutely <laughs> nuts. Like I, I couldn't understand. It, it just, it sounded, it sounded like something that would just. I couldn't even conceive of doing it. And then we actually bought, we bought an operation, uh, and and started doing it. And I thought this is actually not as much to it as I thought. I just didn't know enough about it. Yeah. And now it's just routine. We take, uh, we took I think seventeen thousand people up, wow. up on the Denali area in the Denali National Park and a. And probably half of them landed on the glacier. Yeah, uh, in in years past. So that's about what we what we do per year. I so. uh, one of my greatest memories of that. Of course, I'm a Florida boy. So you know, right? right. And I love this. You, I love you, it up you, here. You, so you, you've got a lot of glacier memories, don't you? <laughs> from but, Florida, <laughs> uh, landing up there and the glare from the the snow. Yes. Um, number one, uh, talking to the the people that work the base camp, right? And it's a, a sterile environment from an Ola factory. There's no there's no scent up there. There's nothing organic up there. No. So they they'd be like, "Ooh, you had bananas for breakfast," <laughs> <laughs> you know? or "You had blackberries," and you know. So they 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 were so you know they were in such a, a sterile environment that they could just. You know, they just smelled everything. You got to be careful up there too. You mentioned the sun, the sun yeah. from direct sunlight, and then it bounces off the snow and it hits you from below. Yeah, and you can get sunburned where you don't quite, normally get sunburned. Quite burned up there in a pretty short order. Yes. Well, I, you know, I remember literally having to feel for when my foot was going to touch the snow mm-hmm. because it was such a uh, a glared environment. And you talk about landing up there right. with just the the. Uh, fluorescent snow uh well there's some markers markers that up gives there you yeah depth, depth perception but the depth perception was so little that you i literally felt for the ground every step but that's on a good day okay on, on a bad day it goes away entirely and you're totally dependent on those markers yeah because they're just floating out there in space, in space. yeah it, it's wild it mm-hmm. is it is 
um, again, an experience of a lifetime to go mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. So uh, thank you guys for, for doing that. So you also, you, you guys were pretty innovative. You created like this ability for, for tourists to go out and experience bear watching and, and, and like do it in one day and come back. Well, and that's a, that's a, a new, relatively new phenomenon as well. Yeah. It's become very, very popular. It's, uh, it's, it amounts for most of what we do in September now. September used to used to be when the salmon are running. Used to be a bear hunting month, and now yeah. it's a bear viewing month. Uh, so the, the, the we used to have a very active uh, hunting clientele, which is not so much anymore. But the bear viewing has come in. We had bear viewing go out today. I think while we were here. Yes, it's, I think it's maybe one of the last trips of the season. Yeah, actually, because we're getting towards the end of September, but uh, it's become very very popular, and uh, and we do a lot of it. We got four different locations we go regularly so that you know for the listeners that might not realize this to go out if you've ever seen the the quintessential photo of the bears at the the creeks or the fall with you know descending on the salmon and just gorging themselves on the salmon uh that was a a pretty major trek to go out there and it was a at least three or four days to get out there do the viewing get back at at minimum right and so the big innovation for you guys were with, uh, I'm, I'm guessing the otters are probably what started the service. I don't, you tell me, uh, where they could go out and come back in the same day. So right. they didn't have to commit four or five days. Well, it's, a, and, it's a float plane, really. It's all really only works uh, for the most part with the float plane that you can go out there, make a two hour flight out and uh, get out to, to the, to the area where the bears are and see the bears and then get back in the same day. And, yeah. uh, it's it's the convenience factor is is tremendous because as you say in the old days that's not how you did it you you'd fly out to another community and then you'd have to hop over from there to a lodge and probably stay there a couple nights or two and then come back and it was but uh, making it accessible in one day has really made it very popular as well yeah yeah great stuff Uh, yeah you know i just i just love Again, the fact that we can, you know, the more people see this stuff, hopefully the more they want to conserve it and preserve it and mm-hmm. keep Alaska the way it is and come and see it. Because well, it's what I amazing. like about the, the, the bear viewing is, is there's no consumption there. You just, yeah. you're seeing the bears and then you, you go home. So it, it preserves it for the next next person. Oh, that's great. So you mentioned you have like 24 craft in the fleet, 23? 23, 24 23. And what kind? Uh, let's uh, let the... Uh, listeners kind of get a, an idea of the kinds of, because you have a, a variety of airplanes you're flying. Well, we have the traditional bush planes that, you know, that we use here in Alaska, the Cessna 185, the Cessna 206, the Havilland Beaver. Everyone's, that's the quintessential, the quintessential yeah. bush plane, the Beaver, and, of course, the Otter. We've, we've got uh, seven Otters now, turbine Otters. Wow. We've, we've converted all of them to turbine power, but they're a tremendously capable airplane. Yeah. And... Um, and we can uh, we can haul ten passengers, five couples in in the aircraft, and they're very versatile, yeah. and reliable, and uh, and um, uh, they're just a tremendous aircraft. So we, that, that's the largest thing we're operating now. But we've also got a, a Gibbs uh, Air Van, the yeah, Australian sitting out here. Yeah, too. It's, yeah, it's on wheels. It doesn't fly on floats. It's, I don't think it's certificated yet, but yeah. we use it on wheels to go to another bear viewing spot that's uh, that's wheel accessible. There were a couple of manufacturers chasing floats for it, and I don't think any of them actually worked out. Uh, uh, P- PK. And then uh, Whip was, tried was to. It was and Whip, uh, both yeah. of those. And it, uh, the problem is that the, the whole air van manufacturing is derailed right now. Yeah. Uh, so 
nothing's moving in, on that project, I don't believe. Yeah. They did get certificated on skis, though. So. And the Civil Air Patrol bought a bunch of them. Um, they've got a, they, they kind of introduced the airplane to, the, to Alaska, Civil Air Patrol. Yeah. Exactly. So how many pilots? On, uh... We've, uh, it's very seasonal, so it's, it grows tremendously in the summer. We've got uh, about 40 on the roster, uh, full-time and some part-time, between the two services. So uh, those are the, we have 40 commercial pilots uh, uh, on, our, uh, on our roster. And so that means that there's a lot of activity come um, April and May, getting everyone trained up and uh, get, getting geared up for the season. The season's relatively short. We've got May, June, July, August, September, maybe a little of October, but then the ice starts to form. Yeah, we're right at the end of it right yeah, now. Yeah, we've already got ice out in some remote locations. There's, there's a little bit of a... a Rim of ice going Just around. a perimeter of ice around the, the shoreline. So it's already starting to get cold out away from, from Anchorage, but here in Anchorage, we're, we're well... We've got open water for at least another three weeks. Yeah, but the mountains were bare. Uh, when I got here, well, and there's snow right. on them and now. Look at right now, now. they got a little dusting of uh, of snow on them just since you've been here. Yeah, exactly. So yep. uh, we're right at that at that time, and it's raining, which means it's it's snowing up there right oh, now. Don't say rain; it's been mm. raining for so much this year. <laughs> but we did have uh, we had we had two months of nothing but sunshine. I've never in my experience here in Alaska seen weather like that. Two months straight sunshine every single day. And I'm thinking, we're going to pay for this. <laughs> the winter is up, is coming. <laughs> no, it wasn't even that. I said, it's going to turn, and it's going to be two months of rain. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and it has. I mean, my wife was watching the weather um, when I was getting ready to come up here. Just You know they're going through like a superstorm right yeah. now. <laughs> so, so, so everyone's just delighted with the weather, but also rather nervous. Like, it's gonna, at some point, it's going to turn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're always up here for the Alaska Airmen Show, uh, the great aviation, uh, Alaska Aviation Gathering, and used to be right across the way here at, at the FedEx hangar. And, you know, sometimes. And now it's out in Palmer. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's been going pretty good out at there. The, at the fairground, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but sometimes the lake is clear the first week of May, and right. sometimes it's not. Yeah. So uh, it is a short season, and, and we're here. Now third week of September, and this is about it. Um, from here, it's kind of downhill. We are fast. we are wrapping things up uh, pretty quickly now. Yeah. So uh, I love May uh, as ice is just clearing. The only problem in May is in the upper lakes. You're still iced they're, in. They're not open yet, so there's not a lot of places to go. Very first thing, June, yeah. July. What's your What's your best month for people to come? Oh, uh, June, July, August, typically. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the peak months, and. Uh, June used to be our biggest month. It's not any longer. Now July is because of the bear viewing. That's a peak, peak time for bear viewing. Any bear viewing that's going to happen is always happening in July. Mm -hmm. And then there's other months where it's other opportunities, but July is big. What I like about now, though, is most of the people are gone. So if you want to come have more of a, you know, private experience out there. Well, shoulder season, definitely. We see people come up in the the winter. We're, We're open year round. There's just not that much going on in the winter, but we'll we'll do uh, trips in the winter as well. We're we're here to fly, yeah, and we'll do so. Yeah. So, what's it look like? Describe what someone that you know may be thinking about becoming a, a pilot or might be interested in flying here at Rust. What what's it look like to be a line pilot at Rust? What can they expect? Well, uh, it's uh, it, once again, it's a seasonal job. So we, we're hiring pilots in the months of May, June, July, August, and September, and so it's a fairly short season. 
but it's intense. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a, a short period of time to make our living for basically the last the whole whole year. So we do a lot of flying, and if uh, a line pilot will put in uh, 120, 130 hours a month, that's a so, lot. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, it's a lot of flying. You you getting but uh, working uh, unlike the old days when we used to work uh, seven days a week. And uh, we're lucky to ever get a day off. Uh, that's this is the old old days. I still remember. We're we're now on a five days on and two days off typically. Days off. What's yeah, that? Yeah, days off, exactly. <laughs> days off. Yeah, consecutive days off. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I remember uh, uh, Mr. Becker. God bless his soul. Would be like, I can't give people two days off in a row. They won't come back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Right, right. So well, we uh, don't we don't worry about that anymore. But uh, we we want uh, we want happy rested pilots. So and that's that's how that's how we get them. So and and the pilots uh, who work for us are as much as anything are are uh, interested in the lifestyle in the flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have people who've flown with us seasonally for twenty years. And that, which is amazing when you think that's about that's a dream it. come true yeah. as far as an employer. I mean, yes, yes, uh, to to have somebody keep coming back year after year for twenty years and do this seasonally. So it's it's the type of flying that they're just uh, in love with. It's just the, it's the lifestyle and just what they do. Um, so it, people say, on the just to repeat myself, that's when they fly with us. They say, "Oh, this is the best part of our." Our Alaska vacation. Well, the pilots get to do that every single day, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and some days are harder than others, obviously. Yeah, when the weather's bad or right or whatever. But uh, but all things considered, it's uh, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Well, you can see Gary was deeply passionate about it because number one, um, he stayed out with us a long time, and number two, he was really working hard, and and mm-hmm. you could tell that he enjoyed working hard to to create the best experience possible. Yes, yes. Uh, so hats off to you, Gary. Uh, you did a great job yesterday. Um, so what are you looking for in a pilot? What, what, what is, you know, the profile of a pilot that would interest you as far as coming online? Well, we're, we're looking for, um, and, and there's, some, there's some considerations. That we're looking for relevant experience, first of all. So we'll, we'll look for a couple thousand hours total time, certainly, as a minimum. And we, we hope to have... Uh, uh, 500 hours on floats and 500 hours in Alaska. The Alaska time is getting harder to come by mm-hmm. because uh, it, it just is. We're having to recruit from outside the, the state just to get pilots, and they don't always have Alaska time. And it, Alaska time is it's meaningful. It's different here. Yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm humbled by it. I have to be yeah. honest with you. I've been coming up here now for 20 years, um, a couple of times a year. Mm-hmm. And I am still, I mean, I have people that will say here you know you know where the keys are go go right and i'm i'm still humbled i approach it with great caution and respect <laughs> yes yeah it's a, it's a different world different environment um so um so, so uh we just we look look at a person just kind of in total and just see the relevancy of their experience and uh if if they've got a lot of uh, total time or scads of uh float plane time but not so much in the state of alaska then we're willing to to look at that and take a look at them, see if they can uh, adapt to to uh, what we're doing here, and uh, and most of the time that's successful. Okay, yeah. and and am I right in saying you might be looking for a pilot or two? <laughs> uh, darn right, <laughs> darn right. Uh, we are. 
it used to be that we'd have a, a couple openings a year. We'd have so many returning people that we'd have a couple openings a year, if that, and we'd have so many people in the door, and I'd not be able to, to offer them anything. And they'd come back year after year, and it just we didn't have anything. Now that's not quite the same dynamic. And uh, we, we uh, are seeing a lot of people uh, uh, heading to the airlines, at least for the time being, uh, to get uh, uh, year-round employment. Mm-hmm. And the, the, enough of this seasonal stuff, you know. They want to, yeah, yeah. They, they want to get a, a year-round job, and and uh, so uh, we before we used to just basically take a few resumes in the spring and and hire a few people and make that work. Now we're recruiting year-round. I mean, we just have to. We have to. I, I've got to. I've got to fill forty slots. Yeah, and that's, that's a lot. That's not easy to do. I remember, you know, if we go back just ten or fifteen years ago. I used to tell people it was really hard to get an Alaska job mm-hmm. because there were so many pilots that wanted to work up here. Yes. Um, that you, I, I would imagine you pretty much had your pick of the litter. I mean, you could, we, we did. People wanted to work here and we had very few openings and it, it was from an employer standpoint, ideal, but uh, that that's all changed. We're, we're having to be uh, out there being a lot more assertive, finding people. Okay, so if you have a couple thousand hours, you have 500 hours of float time, especially if you have Alaska time, um, you might want to just give uh, Todd a call here. Well, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Send him your resume. In fact, I think the phone's ringing right now. <laughs> Let me see who that is. So uh, I, I can tell you that every time I've flown here, the the experience has been incredible. And, and that's why I'm so thrilled to sit down with Todd today. And um, I would encourage you, uh, if you've ever had that dream of, of flying Alaska as a pilot and uh, want to live the dream. <laughs> well, and, 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 and we have kind of a demographic here. We, we have a lot of the people that uh, we've hired here in the last four, five, six years are uh, retired out of the airline or some other commercial venture. They've had their own aircraft uh, very often, a, a full plane of some sort of 185 or 206. And, if they live in the state of Alaska, a lot of flying that aircraft in the state of Alaska. So that's a, just a shoe in here. That that type of person because uh, they uh, they they uh, they want to want to they don't want to quit flying. They want and they want to fly commercially. And we're offering them three or four or five months of flying. So it's not uh, 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 it, it's just enough, just enough to keep you interested and keep you entertained and uh, not wear you out and uh, not, not wear you out and yeah. <laughs> And so that's that's the kind of person that we're we're looking for. Wants to keep flying and and uh, and um, so we uh, we have something to offer. I think. Good. Well, uh, again, uh, if you if you're listening and uh, this sounds uh, interesting to you, I'd highly encourage you to give give Todd and his team a shout and get in touch with them. Um, we talked a little bit about it, but did we miss anything on what passengers can expect? Uh, you've got a lot of different options on you know the the different kinds of flight scene you do right uh, let's let's just kind of review that a little bit you know what are the different packages and and what are some of the opportunities for for potential passengers to come up here and experience this okay so uh we do some of the the things we've traditionally done for a long time the flying fishing mm-hmm. and and we particularly specialize in the uh flying somebody in for the day for a, a guided fishing trip that's what i recommend that they do um, so we do offer fishing, and we've done that consistently for years and years and years. As I said, the bear viewing is, has become uh, 
um, more popular and more important to us uh, as the years go by. And we've got four or five different offerings there. And the, they're all day trips or half day trips. Mm-hmm. So they don't take a long time to do. So it's all very, very doable. Um, and we do a, a lot of, a lot of flight seeing now, a lot of, a lot of sightseeing flights. And those are uh, flights primarily uh, up to Denali or out to Prince William Sound or some of the local glaciers. The glaciers are so easy to, to get to here. We, oh, God, we yeah. go, we go out 20, 20 minutes, minutes, 20 yeah. minutes and turn the corner. And there's, there's a huge glacier right there. And then you can land right next to it yeah. in some cases. Yeah, and look up at it, and it's just yes. uh, very humbling. Like so, I said. so we're just we're ideally located here in, in Anchorage, centrally located to a lot of different activities. The access is is really remarkable because we're in, you know, a metropolis, if you want to call Anchorage, and and I I have to tell you, it feels like a metropolis. Again, compared to even in the last ten or fifteen years, the growth here has been. But so, you, but you got you got ten minutes out, right? Yeah, right you got outside. Ten minutes out, and there's, yeah. there's not a road. There's nothing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, which is in, incredible. I mean, literally, the island out here, and you get out and in, into the bogs out here. Fire, it's fire, fire island. island fire yeah. island. Right? I mean, you're in yeah. the middle of nowhere, and it's literally a, a stone's throw from it's, here. Yeah, it's just a just to skip over there exactly so uh it's really incredible and what i like is you can come back here literally time after time number one even if you go on the same flight from one day to the next i mean even yesterday uh the the flight gary was on the conditions changed and and what he saw changed from the flight he did before us well that's exactly right yes i think the conditions did change a bit yeah and and so you know i think the thing is that resonate with me is you can come back here time after time. And number one, there's a variety of flights. So you can have a different experience taking a different option mm-hmm. uh, on where you're going to go and what you're going to see. But even if you go on the same flight, you know, I've been on that flight that we took yesterday four or five times now. Oh, have you really? I, and, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. And it's different every time. I mean, sometimes you see the pools of water out there with the iridescent blue glow. Right. We didn't see those yesterday mm-hmm. um, because it's a different time of year. Well, it might've yeah. been all the fresh snow. Up and high. all the fresh snow. Yeah, it covered everything. Yeah. yeah. So, exactly. you know, that's, it's a very dynamic situation. So it's enjoyable every time because every time you come, you see something different, even if you go on the same flight. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the cool things I like. Um, what are some of your uh, greatest memories or experiences looking back on? Uh, oh, your- <laughs> oh boy! You know that's there's been a lot of stuff happen. I, I, one of the things that comes to mind uh, is a story my dad told. Um, this is probably back in 1973, four, five time period, and we had a lodge down on Lake Clark that we were operating at that time, and we and that was back when we were more heavily into the guiding business mm-hmm. and he was he was a master or he, he was a registered guide in the state of alaska and he had a client down there at the time that was uh hunting either moose or bear and uh, that lodge was located on lake clark and it was pretty exposed and when the wind blew from the east it became almost unlandable out in mm-hmm. front of because of that big big lake and those waves would come across from the east and it had the whole the whole width of the lake to develop and build and it became really rough out front. And uh, so uh, we had to be real careful uh, about operating there. And it could get really, really rough. Uh, but he said one time uh, that it was the closest he ever came. He, he 
never wrecked an airplane his whole life, but it was the closest he ever came to wrecking an airplane right out in front of the lodge in, wow. in the, that, those, those breaker waves coming in, they're white capping and it's just, uh, it's just heavy water. And, um, who did he have on board? A, a hunter from down in the States by the name of Ted Nugent. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> and who's a very passionate hunter. He, he <laughs> is. He is. And, um, and I, I never forgot that story, but all, all Ted, the, what is he, the uh, Motor City Madman, or what, yeah. I don't know what they call him? But anyway, he's he's been an avid hunter his whole life, and somehow he and Hank Rust got connected, and uh, he came up hunting. And uh, at the time, I I had no knowledge of it, and I don't think my dad knew who the hell he was. God. I mean, he's a totally, he only has hair he, down. To he's a different like who is this guy that doesn't doesn't look normal, and but he he's really a and he's a bow hunter. He's he was yeah. a bow hunter. He's yeah, really passionate hunter. about yeah. hunting, and uh, so. Probably my dad probably was not very impressed. He was from a total different generation, you know, World War Two and the Ted Nugent. Yeah, <laughs> he had probably no idea, no idea who this guy was. But that's that's the time he almost wrecked the airplane with Ted Nugent. <laughs> Hank Russ takes out Ted Nugent. Takes I can see Ted that. Nugent. It would see that. It would have changed history. <laughs> <laughs> and and the beauty is he had no idea who he was flying. I don't think he even knew. This all came out later. You know, this is awesome. And, and this is the beauty and the magic of this podcast, because, again, coming here for the last 20 years uh, and, and getting to have a discussion like this and, and having this huge <laughs> surprise revelation. Right, right. <laughs> the day Hank Rust almost, almost killed. Took, almost took out Ted Nugent. It would have changed rock history. <laughs> For the better or the worse, depending on your point of view, I guess. Yeah. Oh God, you would have been buried with a a, a super cub and a, a bow and a and a bow, yeah, and a guitar, yeah. But he, but he, even even back then, he was just really into hunting. So, um, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So, um, so. so transitioning from that you 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 caught me off guard you didn't even know who i was gonna say it could have been anything yeah so uh obviously this isn't an easy business um and it's probably you know it's really morphed again what the challenges have been over and i did mention i said after 60 years i thought it would be easier getting easier and it's it's getting a little harder with this uh uh, finding mechanics and pilots and the insurance uh, environment and, and all of that. So what are some of the biggest challenges? I mean, we've talked about them, parts issues, I, insurance, yeah, and all I, that stuff. I just, I, mean, I just hit the main points, yeah. I think. Trying to find pilots, trying to find mechanics, then cost of insurance, um, cost of fuel. I don't know if anyone probably noticed that. Yeah. And by yeah. the way, fuel, even though <laughs> it comes out of the ground here, uh, it's more expensive here. I, it, it, can you... Does that make any sense? No. <laughs> they make it. They make jet fuel uh, 70 miles to the south of us. Yeah. It doesn't make it any cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. They pump it out of the ground and it goes somewhere, gets refined, comes back, and it's more expensive. But uh, yeah, so those so those are some challenges. Um, um, uh, How about the boom years? Uh, we, haven't, we haven't even talked about this. Boom years of the, of the pipeline. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did you guys see a big spike with that? I know. Do you everyone... know what the big spike was? What Exxon Valdez oil spill? That was those were the boom years. Really? Believe it, or, believe it or not. Yeah. Now there, there was there was were they people going out to see as, it? As far or? as directly affecting the float plane business, those were the boom years because all of a sudden they needed float planes and they needed a lot of them. Wow. To support the cleanup and that and that was uh, for a couple of years. Wow! Yeah, again, uh, people were paying for paying off twin otters uh, on floats as a result of working for a couple of years on the Exxon Valdez oil oil spill. So that's uh, I, that was 1989. Yeah, yeah. Now what you're talking about is uh, when the pipeline. Yeah, when the pipeline. Well, and that's and that's kind of when uh, the, the the 70s uh, when that started developing and, and uh, it started fueling the state. Mm-hmm. Definitely, the fueling the state. And it, and it uh, uh, put the state on the map, so to speak. And that's when the tourism started picking up. Uh, the population here started to grow, and there was definitely a lot a lot of economic activity as a result of that. It didn't. I don't think it affected us directly, but indirectly, sure. Yeah. And then you know, the lake has changed a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I've watched a transition on the lake. I mean, I think it's pretty uptown with the new slips. The the nose in slips that they have right. instead of the the shoring that. Yeah. Well, we still. They have still, some of them they down still there. Feel like the oh, what's the redheaded uh, what's that saying? Ba- bastard stepchild. Or, yeah, uh, yeah. Of, of the of the main airport, but you know things are better uh, from a lot of standpoints. Yeah, yeah. And and what I like is you know I've seen a lot of people come and go, and mm-hmm. you're still here. We are still here. Yes. And there's been a lot of development. I mean, all the new hangars. When I drive around the lake here uh, mm-hmm. it's a completely different lake than well, what i remember and, and that's true that's all incentivized though yeah which i'm not necessarily totally in favor of because uh, you, you get a longer lease and uh, um, better terms if you build something well it just at some point you can't build anything more there's no more real estate so it's, yeah but they, so they've been incentivizing the the hangers i mean wow yeah you have to. You actually have to build something in order to extend your lease to get the lease. Yeah, and and a float plane slip here or a spot on the shoreline, you know, that's something that's like oh, someone has to die. Yeah, you pass it someone down over has, generations. Somebody has to yeah. die for to get a to get a spot on the lake because yeah. there, there's a waiting list. Uh, uh, I don't know how many years long. Yeah, because there's not there's not enough spots here for the for the demand. But uh, so it's nice to see. We have seen a, a dramatic drop in the number of seaplane pilots in the state. Um, but I still see a lot of airplanes out on lakes when I go out there. I think there's a lot more gentleman pilots than there used to be. You know, I, I don't know how to characterize that other, any other right. way. But, right. you know, a doctor or a lawyer or whoever. Who, well, people who can afford uh, the equipment and, and, and buy some pretty nice airplanes. But uh, uh, it, it's not it's not so much driven by the hunting and fishing the way it used to be. Mm-hmm. So they'll have a recreational cabin or something they'll go to, something like that. And, and there's there's some a lot of nice airplanes around, whereas before it was just a lot of Taylorcrafts and Cubs and whatnot. Yeah, it's, now yeah. now a private owner will have a will have a beaver sitting in his slip, yeah, ready to go. And that's a working airplane. It, you know, it is, it for, it is yeah. for us. Yeah. <laughs> it is for us. Yeah. So well, you know, again, it's a it's a Saturday afternoon. We've been sitting here talking. I could have this conversation with you for days and, and hours on end. Um, and it's important, number one, to do everything we can as an association to to help you guys and help this community. Um, this, you know, I we were talking about it earlier. This is mecca for seaplane pilots. I mean, it really absolutely. is absolutely, absolutely. 
and if you haven't been here, this ab- and you're a seaplane pilot, this absolutely should be on your bucket list. Even if you're not a seaplane pilot and you you're a fan of seaplanes, uh, y- until you've been to Lake Hood and gone with a flight with someone like you guys and gone out and experienced this, you haven't lived. Well, at the, <laughs> at the very least, check out our webcam. Because I've, go, yeah. I've got it, I've got a webcam that shows the dock and the operations out in front here, so it's an easy way to see what see what's going on. So, what does the future hold? The future, um, well, we we need to get through this kind of rough spot here with the fuel prices and and all that. Comp- we have to compensate. Uh, obviously, our, our prices have had to now go. We were talking about that yeah, earlier. Prices prices have to go up. We can't hold the line forever uh we have to we have to uh, we, we determine our prices almost a year in advance because of certain uh, you're trying to predict the future well, of fuel part, which is, well yeah. partnerships that we have we, we set a price and we can't change it at the last minute when something like fuel went yeah. up so uh so we're, we're working about a year out with different partnerships and um and then uh in order to, to find pilots and mechanics we, we're now having the wages have gone up just to be competitive and so that all figures in. So it's, it makes it more challenging. So if we can just kind of weather this, and uh, I think it's going to take uh, another y- couple years for things to kind of fall, the fallout, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, currently, it's the airlines are, sh- are short of people, and that's that's the top of the. I mean, we're we're down here on the. We're swimming around the bottom of the pond here, I think. <laughs> so they're they're at the top, they're at the surface, and they're uh, they're attracting all their their lures are attracting all the uh, all the fish right now, and uh, so drawing them off the bottom, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, so here we are uh, uh, struggling a little bit, and um, just just due to the, the change in the dynamic, you know, just not used to it. Yeah. But uh, we'll get we'll get through it. Yeah. We need more people to come fly seaplanes and and decide to do it uh, uh, commercially and and to do it uh, here. Um, this is an, again a, a very important um, part of seaplane heritage to protect here and to participate in. So uh, um, we need to do everything we can to keep pilots coming here and and keeping passengers coming here. I and, agree. I agree. So, uh, Todd, again, I, I, I appreciate it so much. I've enjoyed this conversation endlessly. It's an honor. Uh, it's one that's long overdue for you, for me to sit down with you and be able to have a conversation like this. I hope the listeners have enjoyed it as well. Uh, I, I can't imagine that they couldn't help but enjoy it. And the fact that we're sitting here on the shore of of lake hood and looking out at the literally at the wing of the super cub uh that started the whole operation just makes it that much more uh special for me yeah i think this is pretty poignant i think yes. <laughs> so, absolutely so uh we hope you've enjoyed uh tell your friends uh share uh share the show with everyone and uh, uh until next time fly safe fly often thank you to todd rust and everyone here at rust flying service and you guys have a good one we'll see you We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory, 
and a calendar of seaplane events, not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.